0: I was thinking about the idea when I got into a lift and found out the lift guy was renting the car. I was like, oh, wow, you're renting the car. This is perfect. This is exactly what we need. We need a third party to rent electric trucks to the drivers.
1: I'm Yesh pavlik Slank and this is Degrees, real talk about planet-saving careers from Environmental Defense Fund. A few years ago, IKEA announced a bold commitment to achieve zero emissions by 2025. That was a sky-high stretch for the $46 billion company. IKEA grew even bolder last year. Its leaders promised to achieve climate positivity. That's reducing more emissions than they emit by 2030. Executing on that noble goal comes down to, well, the trucks that are lining our streets and idling in our driveways and outside playgrounds. Delivery trucks are overwhelmingly powered by diesel. And as you undoubtedly know, diesel emissions are horrible for our health. So a big part of IKEA's plan is to scrap fossil fuel delivery altogether and replace it with zero emission EV trucks by 2025. My guest today has found himself in a place he never imagined, smack in the middle of that EV revolution. Steve Mulk is the guy responsible for bringing electric vehicle home delivery to Ikea. And he is a very unlikely candidate to lead this sustainability moment because the start of his career was actually about as far away from sustainability as you can get. As Ikea is pursuing its transformation, Steve is undergoing a transformation of his own. He's finding himself with a renewed sense of meaning as he works for purpose, not just for profit. So listeners, grab a cup of coffee and check out our conversation. Steve Mulk, welcome to Degrees.
0: Thank you, Yesh. Very happy to be here.
1: Well, Steve, I simply cannot pass up the opportunity to ask you, what is your favorite name
0: for a piece of IKEA furniture? Ah, uh, you know, there's so many names. <laughs> uh <laughs> I like the clip-in and and things like that. But uh, I have to say the Urban, which was a kind of a plastic chair, because the name of our company was Urban Express originally. And so when we saw the Urban chair, it's uh, close to my heart. You
1: heard it in your heart. I love it. Now, Steve, you're in charge of making IKEA's transition to electric delivery vehicles. And I want to dig way deeper into that in a moment. But I'm guessing that when you were a little boy, that is not what you imagined you would do when you grew up. What path led you to where you are today?
0: Wow. Uh, well, I mean, the, what path led me to where I am today? Um, well, I started thinking that I was going to enter into, uh, into finance. That's what I studied in school. And I ended up at a messenger service in New York City. Uh, and since then, the messenger service led into home delivery services, which led into servicing Ikea, Uh, And now I find myself on this side of the table working for IKEA. So it's been a long journey.
1: And was that messengering service uh, just a side gig that you had, or was that something you were intentionally interested in getting to
0: know? I just needed a job. You know, when you get out of school uh, and you're looking for a job, you're just uh, applying anywhere you can. And then uh, this happened to pop up. Actually, my roommate and I applied for the same job and he got the job. Uh, and it was only about a month or two later when they said they needed a, a second person. And then I was brought on.
1: Amazing. Is is this one of those famed New York City messengering? I can't get that word right. Uh, were you part of the insane culture where you all have tattoos and, and, and that's that's part of the image?
0: I don't have any tattoos, but uh, <laughs> but certainly my boss did and uh, my bosses did. And it was probably everything you think a New York City messenger service is going to be in the 1990s. So it was, it was crazy and it was dirty and it was fast and it was exciting. It was all of those things.
1: My body just hurts thinking about it. Well... Steve kind of fell in love with it. Plus, he has a big entrepreneurial side. And eventually, he partnered with some colleagues and started that delivery service company Steve mentioned earlier, Urban Express. So you start your own home delivery service. You're coming into understanding the business. What What is that like? Is, is thriving in the home delivery field something that you learn on the job or are there skills that you already had that you brought with you? Maybe it's education. Maybe it was that experience of that first job out of college that really prepared you to think in a way that would make you a successful owner
0: of a business like that. Well, if you're owning a business, I think the finance background does help, right? Because uh, you do have to understand the numbers and you have payroll and you have to understand the cost of your delivery and what it costs to get that delivery done. My boss uh, my, at the messenger service uh, was extremely demanding. Uh, ex- <laughs> we worked Super long hours, uh, slept in the office sometimes. I mean, it was a, a very heady time. And when you're doing deliveries in 30 minutes in New York City from beginning to end, it puts you in a certain mindset. So actually, when we were contemplating getting into home delivery for the first time for IKEA, by the way, we were bidding on on this IKEA work and we were thinking, wow, you know, we do deliveries in 30 minutes. I mean, how tough can this be, right? It's home (laughs) delivery. You've got a four hour window. I mean, that seems like, you know, it should be like shooting fish in a barrel, but uh, it's obviously a lot more difficult than that. There are a lot of moving parts, arranging appointments with customers and then meeting those appointments and then routing deliveries and loadouts and everything else. And then if any one of those things goes wrong along the path, it's like a slow-moving train wreck. You can never you can never seem to get back ahead of it. But we learned on the job. So to answer your question, it was definitely a, an on-the-job kind of thing. But we had the sense of urgency that we needed, and we had the people that were committed to it that we needed. And so I think that's what made us good at the job.
1: That's making me think of something I heard a, a postal worker talk about during this last USPS backup during the Christmas 2020 holiday season, uh, they said something like, the process of the mail is like a sewer system. If something backs up, the whole system blows. So no matter what, you have to keep it all moving, even if it's sending something from New Jersey to New York, but it
0: has to go to Florida and Texas first. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, it's hard to to dig yourself out of a hole in home delivery once you start, you know, getting backed up and getting behind. So, yeah, you have to stay ahead of it. But what we did bring was kind of this very yes, we can attitude. We did all of our business off the cuff. Uh, and so when they said, hey, can you do this? Yes, sure. We could do that. How much is it going to cost? Fifty dollars. So, you know, we just throw out pricing because <laughs> you have to know your business that well in order to be able to do it. Well,
1: and it sounds like with a, a yes, we can, we can make that happen attitude, you probably don't have a lot of time to consider the environmental impact that you're making.
0: No, I mean, we actually have very little control. Over the drivers in that case, like most home delivery companies, we don't own vehicles and we didn't hire drivers. You utilize independent contractor drivers as you need them. And so there's virtually no time to consider all of these other nuances, where the trucks park and where they go and how much gas are they using and where are they traveling to and where they, you know, we, we really don't consider any of that. Steve
1: got really, really good at making this messy tangle of a business work and work profitably. Over the years, Urban Express grew. It changed its name, and it reached more than $120 million in annual sales. Ultimately, as CEO, Steve sold the company, and he stayed on with the new owner, XPO Logistics, for a couple of years. And then he would begin a whole new phase of his life and career. IKEA's ambitious sustainability goals meant it needed to move to clean energy. Electric vehicle delivery would be a critical piece of that puzzle— But how? They needed someone who understood the head-spinning intricacies of the delivery business. Could Steve, who at the time knew nothing about sustainability, be their guy? It turns out the answer was yes. And in 2019, he joined IKEA to shepherd their EV revolution. Tell me about that change. What drew you to uh, make... Sort of a neck-breaking shift in your, in your work uh, while drawing on these logistics skills that you had.
0: Well, so IKEA was one of our first home delivery customers. I've been working with IKEA as a vendor for 15 years. So in some ways, it was an easy transition because I knew most of the people and I was familiar with IKEA's philosophy and their way of doing business and their procedures and things like this transitioning to this job, uh, I did learn a lot more about their sustainability goals and how pervasive they are, uh, which actually was kind of surprising because everybody hears about IKEA's sustainability goals, but when you're on the inside, you realize that it affects really every aspect of the business from HR to, you know, do we have to print that? Can we do that electronically? Can we do this in a more sustainable way? Can we limit travel? And all of these other things that kind of come into it, you don't have to be part of sustainability to be, you know, part of sustainability. Uh, In fact, my role, even today, I report up through our customer fulfillment group, not directly to the sustainability folks. I have a sustainability goal and I work closely with the sustainability folks, but I don't necessarily report to them. So at at IKEA, sustainability is pervasive.
1: I have to say, when I work with up-and-coming professionals or transitioning professionals who are wanting to get into sustainability as a career... That's not always the case. In fact, I think what you've just described as sustainability being ingrained in every department at IKEA is really rare. Um, That's the goal, certainly, for a lot of companies and programs like Climacore that I work on and work that we do at EDF aims to advance companies to get there. But I, I think where you are at IKEA is very unique.
0: Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think most companies are profit-driven, and that becomes priority number one. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody wants to make a profit. But sustainability is definitely in the DNA at IKEA, and it's really the way it should be.
1: I'm wondering how it feels to go from this mainstream career to a more purpose-driven career. You know, you uh, you built your own home delivery service from scratch. It was very successful, you move to Ikea, and suddenly you find yourself at the middle of a
0: groundbreaking
1: environmental transition. What does it feel like to be there?
0: How has the journey been along the way? I mean, it feels fantastic. It feels refreshing, right? Because I think for for most people, including myself, for most of my life we've just been pursuing the dollar, trying to make a living, and then trying to make a profitable company, and then trying to, you know, keep the lights on and and pursue sales. And, you know, it's a grind. And um this job, like you say, is, is very purpose driven. It's a different type of objective. Yes, you know, costs are always important at IKEA, but our main goal is really to get this done, right? To electrify our home delivery fleet. And so it's, uh, it's refreshing to have something to pursue other than just making a profit.
1: you said earlier, and it sounds like this is probably the answer for every step in your career, you've been learning on the job. I imagine you had a a good understanding and you brought a lot of qualities to IKEA, but what did they see in you that really interested them for this specific role of bringing EVs to their home delivery fleets?
0: Well, I think it was my experience as a home delivery vendor. You really have to understand, since IKEA doesn't actually own any of its own vehicles, right? And how do you uh, transition a fleet to become electric if it's not your fleet to begin with? So, um, So I think that's why they chose me for the role. So you spoke the language. You could be a translator for them. Right. And I, the the people that I work with on the on the vendor side today, um, most of these guys I've worked with before. Um, and secondly, I, I know what they're up against. I know the challenges that they face firsthand. And so uh, hopefully I'm in a better position to address them.
1: Last year, IKEA made news when it set a goal of being climate positive by 2025. What does climate positivity mean, as in what you need to do between now and 2025, which is right around the corner, when it comes to home delivery fleets and transitioning them to EVs? Well,
0: we have to create an environment for our home delivery vendors to be able to access electric vehicles for their independent contractor drivers. And we need to make sure that that the infrastructure is in place for these vehicles to recharge and that infrastructure is in the right place which sometimes means rerouting goods flow to where the infrastructure is instead of the other way around the reality is there's not enough public charging to have a reliable route. And we don't really have set routes in home delivery, because every day there's a different 15 stops on board the truck, and the truck is going in a completely different direction every single day. So as a result, we really have to put the charging infrastructure at the point of origin and hope that we can charge up the truck enough to perform a route, and then come back to base and recharge overnight. Uh, since we can only deliver between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. to a person's house, we have a good 12 hours or more uh, in most cases to uh, recharge the truck. So the the goal is actually to not recharge in the wild, so to speak.
1: In the wild. I like that. Clearly, you have relationships with some of these leaders because of your experience, but How do you even get them to start talking about that? Because you're really asking them to change what is in their fleet. And that's not a, you know, hey, can you pick up lunch for me ask? That's a... Can you change your business ask? How do you start that conversation?
0: It's a huge ask. And you have to realize that the people that own the trucks today are folks that typically own less than five trucks, right? So these are kind of mom and pop businesses. In fact, 90% of the uh, trucking companies in the United States are companies with five or less trucks. So how do you get a company like that, that is undercapitalized, that is heavily invested in their existing fleet to get into an electric vehicle? Um, Because- electric vehicles are fraught with all kinds of problems. For starters, they're two and a half times more expensive than a regular gasoline or diesel vehicle. And that's just comparing new price to new price. Most of these guys are already buying used trucks. So it becomes even more expensive since there are no used electric trucks. Um, Secondly, they don't have the financial profile to be able to get really good interest rates. And no bank is going to finance an electric truck because you know the technology risk is too great because a lot of the the truck OEMs are startups, uh, new companies that no one's ever heard of, and you can't just walk down to Bank America and get financing for this thing. So it makes it extremely difficult for independent contractors or contract carriers to own these trucks. So we have to take that out of the equation. We have to create a model where the the truck drivers don't actually own the trucks. And so what we're going to roll out is a rental model for electric vehicles where independent contractor drivers can then rent a truck for a day or a week without getting into uh, long-term financial entanglements. And then as IKEA, we support the drivers by, you know, we're going to have to pay more on a per delivery basis to offset the delta between the rental truck cost and the diesel truck cost.
1: So does it sort of sound like a, a Lyft or an Uber-type model where the driver is renting one of the nice cars from some third-party fleet? Is, it, is that sort of a, an equivalent?
0: That is exactly the equivalent. In fact, I was thinking about the idea when I got into a Lyft and found out the Lyft guy was <laughs> renting the car. I was sure. like, oh, wow, you're renting the car. This is perfect. This is exactly what we need. We need a third party to rent electric trucks to the drivers, which is which is what we're doing.
1: This can't be an IKEA only situation. I feel like you probably have peers at other competitors who are experiencing the same types of challenges and trying to problem solve in similar ways. Is that the case or is IKEA that far ahead where you're really
0: pioneering this solution? Well, I think we're we're pioneering the solution, but I also think that I don't want to necessarily pioneer the solution. <laughs> I mean, if you look at a, a UPS truck, there are 125 stops on board on average on a UPS truck, and you don't pay for the entire truck to have your package on board because that would be you know, crazy expensive. So sharing the cost is definitely the way to go. That's one of the reasons why we while well, we outsource the home delivery in the first place is to be able to share the resources of these larger logistics companies. And the more uh, we share those assets, the cheaper it becomes for us. So that's why it can't be an IKEA only solution. Plus, if you're thinking about um, sustainability beyond IKEA, I think we all are. I mean, that's one of the reasons exactly. why we get into sustainability in the first place is not to make sure IKEA is sustainable, but to make sure the planet is sustainable. And so You know, it can't just be for us. It has to be, you know, it has to be a solution that can be rolled out and can be scaled up greater than us if we want to actually make a dent in this climate change fiasco.
1: Well, and that's sort of the delicate line any sustainability professional has to walk, right? They need to keep the competitive mindset of working for a company and serving the the bottom line of that company. But we're also on team planet Earth and and need to be sharing these solutions and working together uh, toward scalable impact. As a logistics expert, your goal to achieve zero emissions delivery by 2025 is a really big goal. And you told me earlier in a previous conversation that you like solving big problems. That's just who you are. It's part of your DNA as a professional. How
0: big of a problem is this to solve and why? I mean, I think it's a huge problem. And I think that one of the reasons why it's a big problem is because there aren't enough people working on this. The folks that are involved in sustainability activities and things like this are generally not folks that you might see in transportation. I can tell you that we don't run into a lot of sustainability folks and that pricing is paramount and everything else comes secondary. And so sustainability isn't front of mind for many logistics folks out there. The crossover between folks in sustainability and folks in logistics is a relatively small group. I think most people when they think of electrifying home delivery, their first thought is, well, how do we get FedEx more electric trucks? And you know, the reality in the home delivery that that I'm working on is very, very different. There just aren't enough people working on the problem.
1: Yet, which is, I I think, a key word here. And on that note, I think we're going to have some listeners who are interested in logistics. They're interested in solving this big problem. They're interested in serving brands like IKEA in this way. What are the hard, tangible skills that you are looking for on your team as you grow this movement?
0: And, and what will those skills look like in five years? Well, I mean, I think that the first thing you have to understand is that electrification is happening. We see it all over the world and people see it for their personal cars, but it's definitely happening for commercial vehicles as well. And I think that what logistics companies need to do is they need to start to grapple with this, which they haven't had to do quite yet. So they need to hire folks that understand electric vehicles, they that, that that understand sustainability and regardless of whether it's part of their corporate sustainability goals or not, they're going to have to understand how electric vehicles work and because their customers are going to start to demand it because governments are going to start to demand it because uh, because Pretty soon it's going to be the only thing you can buy. And so for all of those reasons, logistics companies need to get on board and start now because there is a learning curve and because infrastructure does take a long period of time. So I would say to third party logistics companies out there that they have to start getting on board now because EV is almost an existential threat to them. Companies like IKEA are going to make sustainability goals as we have, as Walmart and Unilever and all these other companies have. uh, And we're going to figure it out with or without you. And so it would be much, much better if we all work together to solve the same problems.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's it's a good call to... All the, the relevant partners and to our job seekers who are listening into this podcast, what are the skills that they can work on now if they're interested in getting into this space and becoming you in five, 10 years? What kinds of skills can they uh, start to build professionally classes that they should be thinking about to prepare themselves for the roles that are coming?
0: you know, anything dealing with uh, with electric vehicles, I think, is is going to be pretty hot.
1: It's a very sexy topic.
0: It is. It is. And I know everybody wants to work for Tesla or something like this, which is great. But I would say that there's a lot out there. When you look at just charging infrastructure, for example, there are the chargers themselves, but there's also the software that controls those chargers. And there's policies that price the electricity. And then there's uh, a lot of legal work to be done about, you know, where these chargers are going to go and and who's going to pay for them. And there's, financing options in terms of charging as a service. And, you know, if I were in almost any of those fields, I'd be thinking about like, wow, how do I attach myself to this kind of EV revolution that's going to happen?
1: Well, the jobs are coming. So I, I think that's great advice for for how to get prepared and, and how to get in that mindset. I want you to bring me to a moment to help our listeners uh, imagine something Imagine our listeners are sitting at a traffic light wherever they live and an EV delivery truck pulls up next to them. Can you quantify for us the difference between the emissions of an EV and a diesel-fueled truck?
0: Well, right answer is it's complicated. I mean, it depends on where your electricity comes from. It's almost always <laughs> cleaner than gasoline, however, uh, just from the generation. It's far more efficient uh, use of electricity uh, in an electric vehicle. I think the efficiency rate, is, it's crazy. 90-some percent uh, efficiency on an electric vehicle compared to a gasoline engine. So not only is, it, it, is that important, but it's also important to recognize that these Delivery trucks are tooling around the very neighborhoods that you really want to affect environmental change in, right? Environmental justice communities and uh, communities that that deal with high rates of of pollution. And so those are the ones that are affected the most from greening up your home delivery fleets. They're the ones that are sitting right outside your house. So what better advertisement, I guess, for electric vehicles It says that, you You could have a diesel truck outside of your house belching diesel smoke, or where your kids are playing a couple feet away, or you can have an electric truck which doesn't emit anything in front of your house. So I think the benefits not only accrue to the planet in general by being more efficient, by having greener sources of electricity, but also uh, it's local.
1: When you make it very personal for people, the imagery of a diesel-fueled engine belching outside of your house versus an EV truck sitting next to the place where your kids play, um, do you hear from customers when they make that connection and they
0: want to advocate for their health? Not yet. We haven't done enough <laughs> um, zero emission deliveries. We're just starting out. And so, but I do think that it will happen. I think one compelling note would be to to say that, you know, have you ever smelled diesel smoke? Everybody has smelled diesel smoke, right? I mean, it would be great if we could imagine a time where people didn't know what diesel smoke smelled like. So I think the fact that we all know what that smells Someday. like means that like we've been way too close to a diesel engine.
1: Well, what's your address? I'm going to write you the first
0: letter. <laughs> <laughs> It would be great. We've we've received positive uh, comments from folks seeing our trucks on the road because they have a a graphic on board on on the side of the truck that says that they're zero emission. But I think that we'll start getting comments uh, more and more as we roll this out.
1: Transitioning a little bit back to your career journey, what advice do you have for listeners like yourself, people working in mainstream careers who now really want jobs and sustainability and clean energy, etc.? What advice would you give them about transitioning into this space?
0: I mean, I would say you have to look for it look for companies that are making sustainability commitments. You don't have to work necessarily for a big brand name or anything like this. Most of the large companies do have sustainability commitments and see where those commitments are going to be. If they're in transportation, then you should look for something in their transportation group. If they're putting solar panels on the roof, maybe you want to work for their real estate group uh, or something like this that's going to be involved in those types of activities. I think that um, you're going to see more and more of that, which is a good thing. But yeah, I would look to, to companies with public sustainability commitments, or companies that have anything to do with electric vehicles ro- rollout or infrastructure.
1: What advice would you give to people like yourself who are wrestling to make the business case for a more sustainable path
0: in their job? I would say that certainly when it comes to transportation, that this is happening. Whether you like it or don't like it, <laughs> it's coming. And it's um, the train has left the station the train has left the station absolutely and and so even if your company isn't thinking about it now it should be planning on it in the future so uh, if you're a logistics company that doesn't have any customers that need electric vehicle delivery you should at least start to think about it or you know at least start to consider when you're renting a new facility is it going to have you know enough power for chargers to charge electric trucks and what are the electric trucks that are available today and what kind of programs are out there and educate yourself on what's coming. Even if you're working for a company that doesn't have sustainability goals, I think it's important to understand that the customers are going to demand more and more from the companies that they patronize to live up to these sustainability goals. It just makes good business sense that you think about them, regardless of what you might think of sustainability in general.
1: Well, it's a pretty strong case to make that the train has already left the station. I mean, it's coming, so you better get on board.
0: Yeah, I mean, look around the world. China has already banned diesel and gasoline from many of the city centers. Europe's going to do the same thing. They've got targets in place already. The UK is going to ban gasoline car sales here pretty soon. So you can see what's happening. And it'll come here, too. Whether you like it or not, it'll come here. So it just makes logical business sense to prepare for it.
1: And with the trends that we're seeing, I think they'll see their colleagues making the switch to EV trucks very soon. And with that, I have a forward-looking question for you. With the Biden-Harris administration now in full swing, what do you hope to see
0: policy-wise in the coming years? Well, I mean— anything would be would be great. <laughs> so I, I applaud any efforts that government at any level can, can do to help speed up the EV transition. But I would say that maybe one of the incentive groups that's not seen as much is more on the customer demand side. I think transportation companies in general um, respond to their customers and customers really need to demand it from their transportation companies. So governments can make efforts to push things in that direction as well. For example, with congestion pricing, there could be additional tolls for gasoline vehicles versus zero emission vehicles, or banning gasoline or diesel vehicles in city centers at certain periods of time or something like this, that would create a demand for more electric vehicles, more zero emission vehicles, because then those customers in those zones are going to start to call up their vendors and say, hey, I need the zero emission vehicle maybe some incentives for the purchasing of green transportation. So if you're ordering office supplies, how do you incent folks to buy office supplies from a vendor that's using zero emission trucks to deliver those office supplies? So Maybe there's a a tax incentive there somehow. And I also would say that the transportation vendors themselves need to address the market of people that want to buy zero emission transport. So, you know, when you're purchasing an item from whatever, uh, from your online store, that you have the option to select zero emission transport off the menu of transportation options. Uh, maybe that. it costs a dollar or two more, but that market has not been addressed yet by the transportation vendors today. I can't go to wherever I shop and then and choose to pay a couple bucks more to get that done. And I think that's a premium product that a lot of people would sign up for.
1: Myself included, Um, especially in in the context that we continue to live in while we're relatively quarantined and in lockdown and for the foreseeable future until we're all vaccinated and life can return. We're going to be shopping online more and that's going to mean more deliveries and that's going to mean more emissions. And for an environmentalist like me who does all of the local shopping that I possibly can and really tries to keep my emissions low in general, I would be happy to help offset some of that environmental cost of my purchase with exactly. a, a, a small nominal fee that seems like nothing.
0: And today's internet companies can pinpoint your address and tell you whether that is available to you or not available to you and make that one of your, your choices on your purchase page. So all of that stuff is is technically very, very possible. It's just not happening right now. And I think that that's just a huge missed opportunity. Everybody that I've talked to, like yourself, says they're willing to pay more. I'm willing to pay more. We're all willing to pay more um, if someone would just offer the service. So I'm waiting for someone to offer the service. Come on, FedEx. Come on, UPS. You can jump I like on it. There.
1: Call them out. <laughs> call them out.
0: <laughs> for sure.
1: Well, one final question before we go. What is the weirdest... Most unique thing that has ever been delivered in your pipeline, from you know start to finish, right after college to today.
0: Wow, uh, the strangest thing that's ever been delivered. I mean, there's so many strange things that people want delivered. Um, but I would say things like flagpoles, very <laughs> difficult to deliver. What kind of box do you get for that? It, it's <laughs> it's it's extremely difficult. Uh, other things like specialty cupcakes across town on a on a bicycle, I think would be extremely difficult. Something uh, a nightmare is made of. Uh, yeah, total nightmare. <laughs> so there, there there there's plenty of stuff like that uh, <laughs> that, w- that we'll deliver. So that's yeah. great.
1: Well, Steve Mulk. Thank you for joining me on
0: Degrees. Well, thank you so much, Yes, Really appreciate it.
1: And that's our show for today. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Degrees. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And share this episode with friends and family and ask them to subscribe. Also, visit our website, degreespodcast.org, where we've posted our favorite sustainability job boards. And talk to me. I'm on Twitter at Yesh Says. Tune in next week when I speak with Adam Helzer. He actually left the do-gooder, not-for-profit world to take an ESG job with private equity so that he could make a bigger impact in the fight against climate change. Degrees is presented by Environmental Defense Fund. Our producers are Rick Falou and Amy Morse. Our executive producer is Christina Mestre. Our production company is Podcast Allies with Elaine Appleton Grant and Lindsay O'Connor. Engineering by Matthew Simonson and theme music by Lake Street Dive. I'm your host, Yesh Pavlik link Stay fired up, y'all.
0: Change is coming